when I was very young, if I can remember back that far, uh, I was asked to sing in some weddings. And one of the really popular wedding songs whenever I was 12 years old was a song that went like this. Three of you will remember it, maybe. Whither thou goest, I will go. Wherever thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people will be my people, my love. Whither thou goest, I will go. For as in that story long ago, that same sweet love story now is so. Thy people shall be my people, my love. Whether thou goest, I will go. Yeah, it's a wedding song about commitment that's supposed to last a lifetime. But you heard that one line in there. It says, uh, for, is, for as in that story long ago, that same sweet love story. Well, what on earth were they referring to? Where is the passage from? Where did the idea for this song begin? And it's interesting, if you look back and find out where it's all from, it really wasn't a wedding story at all. Nothing to do with the wedding. Sort of like 1 Corinthians 13. We read that in weddings all the time. And the picture of love described in 1 Corinthians 13 has like nothing to do with weddings. Right? It, it's a nice idea. And I can see how people put the two together. But this story, nothing to do really with weddings either. This is the book of Ruth. This is the first chapter. And I'm going to read a whole swath of it because it's the narrative that matters. And if you're not familiar with the story, I would encourage you to hear the word of the Lord and then for the rest of the week, read this word of the Lord. Read the whole book, read the whole narrative. We're going to spend a little bit of time here over the next several weeks. This is Ruth 1.1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both the sons also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons or her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. 
May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Verse 14. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Geography is vital to this story. I'm going to do this backwards so it's the right direction for you. So here is the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea. Make sure I have this right. To the west, is that west for you? To the west is Israel. Well, Israel's here, Judah below. And on the other side of the Dead Sea is Moab. So you'd have to cross the Jordan up here to get over to the country of Moab. Okay, so there are relatives on either side of the Dead Sea. So they're close by, but they're very different in nature. Um, Moab is a nation often in conflict with Israel. Shamash was the supreme god for the Moabites. Shamash means destroyer, subduer, or fish god. Human sacrifice was sometimes part of the worship of Shamash, which is obviously condemned in Scripture. So it is a little bit surprising to have an Israeli family move to Moab. There's a significant culture clash. In fairness... There's a famine in the land of Israel. So Elimelech moves his family, Naomi and sons, to Moab to escape the famine in Israel. It's tempting 
to read a good deal into this migration. Is this move by Naomi and her family a, an act of losing faith in God to feed his people? It is leaving the land, the land which is a part of the inheritance of the people of God, a subtle act of passive rebellion? Is, is the reason that both husband and both sons die an act of judgment of God? Scripture doesn't say any of that. But others, especially those who were there, might think all of those things. That could have been in the mind of the people who were watching Naomi's return. If you, if you read the narrative carefully, there are some specific clues about how Naomi is viewed when she returns to, to, to the area of Bethlehem. Verse 19 says, when they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Are the people stirred because they never thought to see Naomi back again? Are they, are they slightly embarrassed by her return? It could be because she left the promised land. And you weren't supposed to do that. Um, is there maybe a subtle hint of this being an I told you so moment? You thought the grass would be greener over in Moab, but you're, ba you're back. Just like we said when you were leaving. I mean... You wonder what's all there behind the, the very emotional response that's a part of the scripture here. Does Naomi look differently due to her misfortunes? Is it so much so that her friends can't recognize her? Or is it the difference in her circumstances? Naomi herself gives us some clues. I left here full. I'm returning here empty. And that is an obvious reference to the loss of her family members. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because God has made my life bitter. You know, whether God actually did these things to Naomi or not, we're not told. But Naomi thinks he did. Naomi believes that the death of her husband and sons is the judgment of God on her life. The loss of a husband and her sons and then because of that, any heirs, was a crushing blow. But in the middle of this crisis, we have this touching, tender scene between Ruth and Naomi that is so touching, it's immortalized in song. Before Naomi ever even gets back to Israel, she must give her daughters-in-law the chance to be free of her sentence, which she believes comes from Yahweh. Naomi's only future in her mind is a future of pain and poverty and tragedy because she has no sons. She has no heirs. She has no one to care for her in her old age. It's not necessary for her daughters-in-law to share her fate. After all, they're not of Israel anyway. So she tries to release them. She tries to let them go back to the land of their ancestors. She tries to return them to their own customs and to return to their own gods, Orpah and Ruth. In time, Orpah returns, but Ruth clings to Naomi. You heard the words of Ruth. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. 
Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where I die, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. When, when Ruth makes this reply, she uses some specific language. When she uses the word Lord in verse 17, she uses the word Yahweh. And that is Israel's name for God. She could have used the name Elohim, which would be a foreigner's word for God. But Ruth, who is not from Israel, uses the word Yahweh, meaning she's devoting her life to Naomi's God, to the God of the Hebrew people. Ruth, the Moabitess, for the love of Naomi, wishes to identify herself completely with Naomi's life, to help her, provide for her, to accept her culture, and to accept her God. Now this transition happens at a time when there's no official way for anyone to become Jewish. I mean, in later years, there's a system for proselytes. People can come in and actually adopt the Jewish heritage and the faith of their own. They can sort of become a part of the community of faith. It's too early in history for that. That doesn't happen yet. Ruth is doing it before it's possible. And so she's a model for us in some interesting ways. In fact, if you look at Ezekiel's vision of Sheol, the place for the dead, when Ezekiel describes the place of the dead, he talks about different sort of areas in Sheol where the different nations go when they're dead. So there's like uh, the eternal resting place of the Amorites and the, and the, and the Edomites. And they all, this is Ezekiel's view of Sheol, the place of the dead. And so when Ruth says she'll be buried with Naomi, she's actually saying, I'm going to shift my spot. I'm actually going to be buried with the Jewish people in death according to that particular understanding of what the place of the dead was in that day. Ruth ties her whole future to Naomi. The love of Ruth for Naomi, the commitment of Ruth to Naomi, changes everything about this tragic story. Naomi is no longer alone in Israel. Naomi is no longer required to glean the fields for food by herself. Ruth will do it for her. Naomi begins to believe because of Ruth's promises that God has not abandoned Naomi. And the two of them wind up in Bethlehem, the city that Naomi had abandoned many years before, just at the beginning of the barley harvest. It became a wedding song, this story, but it's obvious that the love pictured in this story is not romantic love. This kind of love is the deep, faithful love that cares about the plight of others and is willing to link their personal future with those who need them. This is a picture of the kind of love that God has for us. He didn't love us because of what he would receive in return from us. He loved us because we needed to be loved, because we couldn't exist without his love. He isn't thinking about what he can get out of loving us. He's always thinking about what he can give us, what he can do for us, what he can sacrifice for us. 
This is the kind of love that sees the pain in the world and understands something must be done. And then it does what needs to be done, even at great cost. And when we are told in Scripture that the world, the world will know the children of God because of their love for one another, this is the kind of love that is in view. This is the love that exemplifies the saints of God. The love of God in them, resident in them by the presence of the Holy Spirit, moves them to let the pain of the world stay as it is, unchecked and unresolved. This is love that demands to make a difference. It is not complacent. It will not sit idly by. It will address the plight of Japanese farm workers or poor fishermen or juvenile delinquents. It will address the social evils of the day. It will not stand for injustice to be practiced against the people that God loves. This love is willing to tie its personal future to the lives of those who desperately need to be loved. This is the calling that the saints of God hear. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he calls us to so love the people of the world that we also will give. And if that's the definition of what it means to be a saint, the Holy Spirit in us, loving the world by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit addressing the pain of the world through us because we exemplify the love of the Spirit for the people of God and for all of his creation, then that means anyone can be among the saints anyone reminds me of another song i heard when i was a kid all you need is love da -da 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 -da. but but not the romantic kind not the self-interested kind of love that is everywhere today we're talking about the faithful self-sacrificing love that god demonstrates for us the kind of love he wants to place in us if we will have it, if, if we are open to it, if, if we're willing to be used of God to address the pain of the world. You know, we always speak in generalities, don't we? Talk about the pain of the world and how we're going to address it and do something about it. Maybe we should just say like the pain of our neighbor next door. Because I don't think any of us have the grand vision to make changes in the world universally. But we can make a change on our street. We, we can make a change in the neighbor that lives next to us or, or the, the injustice the Holy Spirit brings to our mind. Really, the, the people that we talked about today None of them started out to change the world. Not one of them. They all were in situations where they saw one wrong thing 
and because of the love for God, stepped forward to do something about it. And that first step of doing something about this led to a second step, led to a third step. And before you know it, you have Grenfield with, what, six hospital, four nursing ships that drove around the Newfoundland coast to help fishermen who were too poor to have medical attention, and orphanages, and these guys started credit unions and libraries and, and schools. And you think little Francis had that in mind when her heart was first broken for juveniles who were wrongly incarcerated for vagrancy? No. She just saw one little boy who needed to be loved who could make a difference. And she made a difference in one little boy's life. And then it was the next step. And then it was the next step. And it has not yet been seen all that God can do through his people if they are willing to take the steps he leads them to. Because all these grand things that have happened through the work of the ministry of the Spirit through the kingdom of God, they just start with one little step in the neighborhood. They just, they just start with believing that God can use us to make a difference. That hymn that we started with is not one that's real familiar to us, but I love the last line of it. They were all of us saints of God, and I mean God helping to be one too. There isn't reason, there is no reason why we can't all be the saints of God after this model. Loving the world that Christ died to redeem. It's just whether we were willing to tie our future to the futures of those who need to be loved. That's what it comes down to, right? Will we risk our own future in order to express the love of Christ for those who most need it. Because you know when you step forward to help this one little child who's been wrongly incarcerated, everyone around notices that and they say, why are you helping that little boy? Why are you doing that? I mean, no one cares about them. Why, why are you placing yourself in the place of risk for the least of these? Why would you? Why would you do it? Why would you leave your comfortable home in Cheshire, England, where you know what the society will do and what's going to happen, and go to the coast of godforsaken Labrador, where all there are are poor fishermen? Why, why would you do why would Why on earth would you move into a six-by-six six shed in the middle of the slums of Tokyo and live there for 14 years in order to minister to the poor of that city? Why, why would you do that? I mean, all opportunity for forward advancement in the world disappears when you lose yourself in the slums. But no one was ever lost to God in the slums. He sees. He knows. And when we take those first steps to make a difference in our world, he'll present the next step and the next step and the next step until the work of God through your life is amazing to behold. Don't misunderstand. It will all be his work from first to last. Won't be our work. 
won't be things that we could orchestrate. Nothing in us is grand enough to accomplish the things that God wants to do. But the work of his spirit is magnificent. His love is all-embracing. And if we will allow it, the spirit will give us that love for others and beckon us forward step by step by step. Will you open your heart to the leading of the Spirit? Will you listen to his voice? Will you embrace the passion that God has for his people, all of them? That's what it means to be among the saints. To respond to all that God calls us to with a loud yes. I'll go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the lives of the saints that teach us about your amazing grace. We ask, Father, that you would help us to discern the steps to which you would invite us, that we also can be ambassadors of your grace and agents of your love. Help us to see with your eyes the pain that is around us everywhere and give us wisdom by your spirit to take the step to bring relief, freedom, and wholeness according to your leading. This we pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. And now may the Lord through his Holy Spirit equip you with all that you need for every good work to accomplish his will. And may the world be loved well by you. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.